Let's turn this morning to God's Word in the Old Testament, Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah 2, the text for this sermon will be the last three verses that we read, 18 through 20. I ask that you pay special attention to those verses. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I, this is Nehemiah, took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? There is nothing else but this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertained to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite, and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, 
and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, nor had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Thus for we read God's holy and an errant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, what is striking about the words that Nehemiah brought to the Jews in Jerusalem is the immediate impact that those words had upon the nobles and the rulers in the city. Nehemiah was a wise man, conscientious of the needs of God's people in Jerusalem. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, striking how when the king asked him what he wanted, before Nehemiah uttered a response, he prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah being given this wisdom from on high, understood that the Jews in the royal city were discouraged. They were downcast. Their hands hung heavily by their sides. They no longer had the zeal the energy to pick up their hands and work. What is striking, 
I say, is how immediately Nehemiah's words had an impact. Verse 18, Then I told them of the hand of my God which was, upon, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. How did they respond? And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Strengthening one's hands to work. We use that as our theme this morning. First, we'll see that the work in which they were involved was a good work. Second, an opposed work. And third, strengthened by God, it was a prospered work. Good, opposed, prospered. The work that needed to be done was the rebuilding of the walls and the gates that surrounded the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, the Scriptures tell us, was the king's cupbearer. So he was not, in, in the first chapter, Nehemiah 1, in the first part of the second chapter, Nehemiah was not with God's people in Jerusalem. There, there were a number of faithful people of God who remained in captivity, who had not yet come to Jerusalem. Nehemiah was one of them. He was serving in Shushan, the palace, in a position of service to the king, Artaxerxes. He was the king's cupbearer. While Nehemiah was serving the king Artaxerxes, a report came unto him from Hanani. Hanani was one of the Jewish brethren in Jerusalem. Hanani had come to Shushan and had informed Nehemiah that there was a problem in Jerusalem. And the problem there was that the walls lay in ruins. Nehemiah, as soon as he heard of this report, was immediately overcome with sorrow and heaviness of heart. It's evident that Nehemiah loved the Jews who had previously returned to Jerusalem. And so although he personally was many, many miles removed from this problem in Jerusalem, yet being moved with compassion, he wanted to return unto that city to assist them. Nehemiah was called by God to this work of going to Jerusalem to fix the walls and the gates. Nehemiah 2 verse 12, And I arose in the night, I and some men with me, Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. It's not as if Nehemiah dreamed up of his own accord that 
this would be a good idea. This is something that would be beneficial for God's people in Jerusalem. And so of his own will or volition, decided to take the lead in this charge. But rather, God had placed this burden on his heart. My God hath called me to this work. That's the only way that we office bearers can proceed. Not when it's our personal desires, wants, but when God Himself, by His Holy Spirit, through His Word, places this calling on our hearts. Then we rise up and do the work before us. Nehemiah was sent with the king's blessing to go from Shushan unto Jerusalem. He was sent with a company of men who protected him, commissioned by the king himself, When Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, he kept his presence there a secret for a while. He did not want the attention of everybody in the town. He certainly did not want to catch the attention of the enemies of Jerusalem. Before he did anything, before he took on any work of rebuilding the walls, He first gathered information. Wise office bearer does this as well. Instead of being quick to make judgments, judging rashly or unheard, the office bearer filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ gathers as much information as possible before speaking. Nehemiah went out at nighttime under the secrecy of darkness. At first he rode his horse as he walked or as he went around the walls of Jerusalem. But at points, the Scriptures inform us there was so much rubble and debris and ruins of the walls that it was not possible for his beast, his horse, to travel over the ruins. And so he had to dismount and climb by foot over the ruins of the walls. Upon gathering this information, Nehemiah concluded that the report given unto him was an accurate report. Indeed, the walls were destroyed. But he also concluded that he would not be able of himself to rebuild these walls. If Jerusalem would be a fortified city again, Nehemiah would need the assistance, the work of a great number of people. And so instead of himself immediately going out and picking up his hammer and chisel, 
and laboring on these walls, Nehemiah turned to others to enlist their help. Verse 17, he's speaking here. We'll go back to verse 16. As of yet the rulers knew not where I went, what I did, nor had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to any of the rest that did the work. Now he, now he speaks to them, verse 17, Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. 18, the second half. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Immediately, they rose up to labor. A good work this was. It's a good work that the elders do, and a good work that the deacons do. Why does Nehemiah call this a good work? They strengthen their hands for this good work. I suppose many different reasons could be given why this was a good work. We know two of them now. In the first place, this was a good work because it would be used by God to turn away the reproach of the enemies of Jerusalem. Verse 17 concludes that way. Nehemiah teaches us, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. This royal city of Jerusalem was now derided by the surrounding peoples and nations. That word reproach means it had become an object of shame, of disgrace. It was embarrassment to be associated with that city. It, it so lay in ruins. It was so devastated and nobody had yet done the work of rebuilding the walls that the people did not even want to be connected with that city, Jerusalem. Reproached by the enemies. The surrounding people would whisper and would mock the inhabitants who lived in that city. Who wants to be connected with that city? Look how the people in that city don't even bother to rebuild the walls. If you were asked, are you a citizen of the city of Jerusalem? The temptation would be to say, I know nothing about 
what's going on in that city. It was a reproach. To remove that reproach, that disgrace, they began the good work. And we must be understand carefully here what was their motive in seeking to remove that reproach. It wasn't pride. You mustn't imagine that they wanted to rebuild these walls so that then they could come puffed up, say, look look at what I've done. I worked hard at this. See how beautiful and strong these walls are as a result of my efforts. Vanity must never be the motivation for seeking to remove the reproach upon God's church. It's not desire for man's glory but desire for God's glory. It is because God is glorious. He's beautiful. And the church is to reflect the glory, the holiness, the beauty of our God. That office bearers are motivated to remove the reproach from out of the church. Second, it's called a good work because of the fact that it was for the good of the children of Israel. We see that revealed in verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, that is, heard of the return or the coming of Nehemiah to Jerusalem, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Presently, the Jews in Jerusalem were vulnerable. There were, there were breaches in the walls. They were not protected against any enemies of God's people that would have wanted to attack them. Nehemiah was conscientious of this fact that the people of God stood exposed to the wiles of the wicked. And so motivated, not out of his own welfare, but for the welfare of the children of God. Nehemiah left behind his place in the palace and traveled out to Jerusalem to assist them. From a certain point of view, Nehemiah had nothing to gain by this. Consider that the possibility that you were serving as a royal dignitary to a person of importance, and you enjoyed great protection and many benefits there in that position. Who would want to give up that position and go out to a place where one is exposed and vulnerable. It was because Nehemiah loved the people of God that he went out to seek their welfare. May that 
office bearers. Spur us on to faithfulness in our labors. Seeking not first and foremost our own welfare, but seeking the welfare of the children of God. Good though this work was, it was opposed. Indeed, there was stiff opposition to this work of rebuilding the walls. The leaders, the identity of those who opposed this work is Sanballat and Tobiah. Verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly. Sanballat the Horonite is of the tribe of Moab. Both the Moabites and the Ammonites trace their lineage back to Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham. So the Moabites and the Ammonites both were relatives, be it distant relatives, but relatives of the Jews in Jerusalem. The threat to the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem was not the mighty empire of Persia. Persia was the world power at that time. Persia did not stop or even attempt to stop the rebuilding of the walls. It was their own distant relatives people living, as it were, in their own backyard who wanted the construction of these walls stopped. The methods that they employed in their goal of trying to stop the work was taunting, mocking, ridiculing. They raised false accusations against those involved in the work. Verse 19, when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Notice their approach here. They take that which is truth and they try to take truth and turn it into a lie. Are you going to dare rebel against the king? Are you going to go against Artaxerxes and his commands in rebuilding this wall here? Well, the reality is it did not go against the command of the king to rebuild these walls. In fact, that was precisely what the king had commissioned them to do. The king sent Nehemiah from the palace to go to Jerusalem and even sent a company of soldiers along with him to protect him so that he would be able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And now the enemies come and the enemies say unto him, are you going to dare to rebel against the king by building up these 
walls. This gives us to see how the devil opposes the building up of God's church. The devil would take that which is reality and have reality seem as if it is not true. So you question and doubt what actually is truth. The devil would make faithfulness seem as if it is rebellion, and rebellion seem as if that is faithfulness. All of this was used to discourage the Jews from rebuilding. It's worth noting that that was the primary method that Sanballat and Tobiah used against the Jews. The Scriptures do speak of them, Sanballat and Tobiah, gathering their weapons, preparing to fight. But it's not clear that they even ever did come and ever used their swords against the Jews. It was not physical opposition, but it was words from the mouth that opposed the building of the walls. Their goal was to sow intimidate and discourage the Jews that the Jews of their own accord would stop working. As it was in the days of Nehemiah, so there is and always remains opposition to the building up of God's church. The enemy of the church, who is the devil, does not want you men faithfully to discharge the duties of your respective offices. And the devil will use whatever means are available at his disposal to prevent the building up of the church of Jesus Christ. You will put obstacles in your and my lives as office bearers, which have as their specific purpose to discourage and deter you and me from carrying out our work. And as it was in the case of Nehemiah, that the greatest opposition was not the enemy far out there. It was not the mighty empire of Persia that tried to stop the rebuilding of the church, but it was the enemy in their own backyard. So it is today for us as office bearers. The great threat to the building up of the church of Jesus Christ is not the mighty empire of the United States. 
It is not the important dignitaries and politicians of the United States who present the greatest threat to the church. But the greatest threat is that which is found right in our own backyard. It is anything or anyone that would taunt, mock, or otherwise discourage us from carrying out the work that God has called us to do. It is that relative who uses holiday gatherings as a time to mock you you still go to Linden Protestant Reformed Church? Why aren't you out of there years ago? It could be a spouse who does not support the husband in the work of office. It could be a child who rebels against the fact that dad gives himself to the church. And most particularly, where is that enemy? It's our own sinful nature. That is why we become discouraged, downcast, and would be tempted to let our hands hang by our sides, too weary to pick up another brick in the building up of the church. Nehemiah understood this, that the problem in Jerusalem was the fact that the nobles and the rulers and the priests had become discouraged. So he came unto them and addressed them. Nehemiah did not go out with the sword and try and remove, kill Sanballat and Tobiah. No, he addressed the leaders in the city and encouraged them. At some point, they had discontinued the work of building up Jerusalem. They had started earlier. They had, under Ezra's leadership, rebuilt the temple. They laid the foundation. Recall when they saw the foundation, they wept. Then later on, they built the walls of the temple upon it. They had begun the work of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, but at some point they had discontinued the labors of building up the royal city of David. They had become so discouraged, had become overwhelmed with the spiritual lethargy that they stopped the work of building up this city. 
And so God used Nehemiah the servant to come unto the city of Jerusalem and to work through the words that God placed on Nehemiah's mouth, encouragement in the hearts of these rulers of the city of Jerusalem. We said earlier, we noted that this was a good work that they were involved in. They strengthened their hands for this good work. Well, there's yet another reason why this is a good work. It's a good work because God used that work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem for the sanctification of the nobles and rulers and leaders in the city. That's something we maybe don't think about when God calls us to office. That I bring my own sinful nature into office. And God is going to use this office to prune me, to change me, to drive that which is sinful out of me and to shape me into the image of Christ. That's why it's a good work. Think of Jonah. He didn't want to do it. And that sinful nature, he fled. And God changed him. This work, we may be confident, will be prospered. Prospered not because of the strength, the wisdom of the men who occupy the positions in office, but prospered because of the Holy Spirit who indwells the men called to office. Verse 20, Then answered I them and said unto them, the God of heaven, He will prosper us. Note well His identity. He is the God of heaven. The God who dwells in the heavens. The Creator God who by His wisdom shaped and created the heavens. He is not the weak God, the weak God, like the gods of this earth. Hands have they, but they handle not. Eyes have they, but they see not. But He is the uncreated, the independent, the all-powerful Lord of hosts. He is the one who changes not but who keeps His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob even to a thousand generations. And this God of heaven, we believe, will prosper us as we look ahead. And we know not what the future holds, 
But our confidence is this, that the God of heaven will bless the labors of this church. It could well be that in the future there are dark and dreary days for the church of Jesus Christ. For as long as Jesus Christ tarries, there will be opposition to the building up of the church. We expect it. We must expect it. As long as one is doing a good work, there will be people that oppose you exactly because you are doing a good work. In times of discouragement, the devil would have us turn to wrong places for consolation. He would have us turn unto sin and the pleasures of sin, to worldliness and its riches. But may your and my confidence be that the God of heaven will prosper you. He will prosper you because He always has been with you. As we look ahead, our confidence is that throughout history before us, the good hand of God has rested upon us. Verse 18, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me. It was upon me for a good purpose. And the hand of God that is upon us for good is the hand of God that reaches down from heaven and comes down to this earth. The hand of God that reaches down to this earth is God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. That's how we know that the good hand of our Father is upon us. That's the proof. God sent His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to suffer and die so that He might gather, defend, and preserve unto Himself a church. Let us strengthen our hands then for the work ahead of us, knowing that the good hand of our Father is upon us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee for the comforting truth of Thy providence by, thy wit, by which Thou dost, according to Thine outstretched hand, uphold and govern all things in heaven above and in earth below. Wilt Thou strengthen those of us who have been called into special office in the church that we might carry out these duties in a way which gives glory unto Thee? And wilt Thou give grace to each and every one of us that whenever we would become discouraged,
engaged in the work before us. May we be given to know that Thy good hand not only is upon us, but also lifts us up and sets us upon the rock which is higher than us, which is Thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.